insights and challenges and things like that. So ran across this quote uh, a while ago, but it really kind of came back to my mind as I was thinking about the passage today. And it kind of went like this, that like losing teams, nobody holds anybody accountable, right? And average teams, well, you've got coaches hold players accountable. Winning teams, you know, Nick Saban's retired, so we're going to get the championship teams, you know, in honor of. Um, so, like, winning teams, you have play, uh, captains and coaches hold, hold the team accountable. But on championship teams, everyone holds everyone accountable. Well, I don't think championship church is a good theme, so why don't we just say healthy? Hopefully you can see the translation, healthy churches, right? So if you have an unhealthy church, nobody's accountable to anybody, right? And then as you start to grow, this is probably where most churches fall. Most churches fall as you've got some pa- a pastor or a couple of pastors, and it's like, we need to do this, and here's the challenge, and here's the push, and let's grow, and they're trying to grow people, but it's just, it's just like there's the pastor, and then there's us, and he'll do that stuff, and we'll kind of do our stuff. But as a church gets healthier, leaders start to broaden out. You've got deacons or elders, and you've got this group of people leading the church and pushing the church to grow and holding each other accountable and using their relational networks to help people forward in Christ and and to challenge people to walk out into where the lost are. But the healthiest of churches, and I believe Fletcher is growing more and more and more to be this, Every single person views it as their responsibility to shepherd, love, grow, hold accountable, and challenge somebody around them. That there's this wide network of every member on mission, we're going for that, every member in relationships of accountability and growth. And so that's something that I just so appreciate that you have been taking on, that there is this this wide network of people serious about their walk with Christ but also serious about the person sitting next to them. Serious about seeing them become all that Christ would have them to be. Serious about challenging them to growth. And so if we're going to be a healthy church, partnership is the word of the day. That we don't do this thing alone. We don't do our discipleship alone. We don't do our growth alone. But we also don't apply the theme of this month, and we don't go on mission alone. So that's the, that's the challenge today, that we partner with people around the world, as you met in the video, but we also partner with people sitting right beside us, sitting beside us in Sunday school, sitting with us weekly in microgroups. We partner with them to go after people that don't know Jesus so that they can see what it's like for people to love each other and love Jesus, and that will just amplify the message of Jesus himself as we go. And so today, again, we are in partnership. We started this month out looking at a vision. And the vision kind of summed up this way. What if we don't measure ourselves by how full this room is, how full Fletcher is? But what if we measure ourselves by how reached Statesboro is? There's always somewhere else to be. There's always somewhere else to go. What if it was What if we really took it onto our hearts that there will not be one person in our region, in our city, that is unwarned or unprayed for. That if the gospel, that is us, we want to see the gospel meaningfully shared with everybody in our city. And that's a vision that I think we can embrace for a really long time to come. And then last week, it started where it has to start. Abiding in Christ, right? 
We have to have the Father's heart before we will ever cross the barriers of discomfort. We have to have the Father's heart before we'll ever have the boldness to open our mouth to somebody that doesn't believe. We have to have the Father's heart if we're ever going to have an impetus to go beyond our normal life that's pretty full and pretty busy and everything's pretty good about it. We're going to have to have the Father's heart to break past that to where it is uncomfortable and to where people don't know Jesus. And so abiding in Christ leads to bearing fruit leads to displaying the life of Christ and sharing the message of Christ to people around us. And then today we'll be dealing with partnership. Don't do this alone. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two to go share all over the region. It wasn't just the 12 apostles. There were 72 people at that point, and he sent them out two by two. You're reading through Acts this month. I hope you are. And if not, there's plenty of time to catch up. Right? Read through Acts and you see a church that's always together and praying. And then you see them going out on mission together. And you hear them, like Peter's preaching, but he's out there with like James doing it. Or, or uh, I read it this, I think it was yesterday where I was reading it, where um, Paul and Barnabas, were, they had been ministering in Antioch. They come back to Jerusalem, and they add John Mark. And now Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark are on mission together. Don't do it alone. Take people with you. Partner together to show and to share the message of Jesus. So that's what we're going to be looking at in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Uh, and so let's... Let's uh, read that, and then we'll go from there. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by, what every, by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray that as hundreds of prayers have been offered this month, for your heart to, to be our heart, for, for people around us to see and hear and believe in Jesus. Lord, I pray you would be pleased to answer those prayers. I pray that you would give us a greater tenderness and affections and seeking after your face. I pray you would give us a greater burden and weight for people that don't know Jesus around us. And I pray, Father, that you'd send us. Lord, I pray that increasingly we would be bound together in relationship, but that those relationships would be on purpose. That, that together we go help people see and know. And so, Father, I pray you would do way beyond what my words can do today. I pray that you'd, you'd just let your word fall on really good soil in our hearts and it would grow up into fruit, 30 and 60 and 100-fold kind of fruit. 
God, I pray that it would grow up in our heart and, and we'd, just have, we'd have to do something about it. God, we wouldn't just hear another sermon. We wouldn't just file away another set of notes. But God, that the Holy Spirit would move in us to go and live this truth out. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the gospel gifts us partners in discipleship and mission. The gospel gifts us partners in discipleship and mission. The first thing that we see here is we have partners that equip us for ministry so that we all continue to progress. We have partners that equip us for ministry so that we all continue to progress. Now, I am stepping way outside of my expertise at this point when I give you this analogy, right? If, if you want to bake a cake, you only need like four or five ingredients. Now, if you've ever watched some of these shows like Cake Masters and they turn it into amazing sculptures of things, like they do it with the same four or five ingredients that your kid just threw together and dumped some icing on and, you know, you got the privilege of eating. And so you throw in some flour and you throw in some sugar and you throw in just a drop or two of flavoring and you throw in some, some liquid and, or milk and some butter and stuff. You see this in my expertise. But like the same five ingredients put together the right way I am an expert at this part, end up really amazing when you eat it, right? That's how this works. And so the same four or five ingredients with different proportions and mixtures and all of this vast creative uh, things get expressed and we have all of these different cakes that we get to eat and enjoy. It's amazing. Well, churches that are healthy and vital, I would say have at least four ingredients now, those ingredients aren't all equal. Like, you don't dump the same amount of butter, the same amount of flour, and the same amount of sugar. Not going to end up well. It's dumped in the right proportions. But each church has at least four ingredients to it. And in the measure, in the proportions that God makes unique to them, allows that church to be used in amazing ways. To become this amazing creation of God that expresses that unique flavor and personality that's enjoyable and used for the people around it. So what are those four or five ingredients? Let's look at these uh, first couple of verses. And so you know, a few verses back from where we started, you have Jesus giving gifts to all men. Every believer has a, a spiritual gift. Every believer has been gifted by Jesus for the building up of his body and the care of his people. But he makes that more specific as he gets to verse 11. There are some specific gifts that he gives to the church in the form of leaders. Now, a couple of things I would say about this before we jump in is these are not spiritual gifts in the typical sense that, that we use it, right? Because these are men or people gifted in these ways. It's not like the gift of generosity or the gift of leadership or the gift of teaching, right? It's a specific leadership gift that he gives. The second thing I would say about it is it is not offices in the church, meaning that we don't have these four paid people on staff and then everybody else kind of does what they do. I would say that every healthy church has these gifts expressed within the lay body of Christ that is there. That every church that's formed together, unless they have been pushed out, unless they have gone latent, that these four gifts, these four types of people that have a gift 
a skill and a passion for this area of ministry so that the church has this type of ministry expressed in it. I would say that's true everywhere. So it's not simply leaders do this or or paid leaders do this. It is God has gifted his body with people that have passion and gifts to move the church in these areas. So that we don't become myopic and it's like, yes, my gifts and passion are in a certain way and so we could just take the whole church in that direction. No, we're going to have a really bad cake if we miss the sugar. And if you've been with me long, you're like, you're us, like if, if cake ingredients were the church, I wouldn't be the sugar. Right? So we need that. Right? And so it's not a spiritual gift proper, nor is it offices in the church. It's Gifts given to the body of Christ to make sure that the well-blended ministry of the church doesn't have big gaps in it from these. And what do these people do? So God gives the church these people. What do they do? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Equipping who? Everyone. For what? The work of the ministry. And so, I've been guilty of this before. Share this passage and be like, you know why pastors are here? We pay people to equip us for ministry. You know what we do as a church? Well, we do the ministry. And that's true, but I think it misses the point, or it misses some of the point. If if God has gifted these people to equip others for the work of the ministry, well, what kind of ministry should a church have? What kind of blend of ingredients should a church have if it's going to be healthy? And I think we answer that by the four gifts listed above. That this is, these are people that don't just do apostleship, prophet, pastor, teacher. These are people that equip others to have a ministry that is apostolic and prophetic. And, you know, y'all are starting to lose it because that's like words we don't use a lot. So we're going to explain that. But I think the point is this. What kind of ministry makes a healthy, well-blended church? A kind of ministry that expresses all four of these areas in a consistent way. Doesn't mean they're all equal, it means they're all consistent. So let's look at it. The first area of ministry, we're gonna have an apostolic ministry at Fletcher. Are you excited? Now you just come on up, and I've got some sprinkle stuff down here, and uh, we are gonna go for it. No, okay, so what does it mean that a church should have an apostolic ministry if that's one of these four things? Well, in the New Testament, the word apostle is used in two very distinct ways. It is used of big A apostles, which are the 12 special followers of Jesus, minus Judas, plus Matthias, plus Paul, and the two of them will just have to fight it out for who gets their name on a gate in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know the answer to that one. But there is a special 12 apostles, and to be included in your Bible, the book that is written has to have some connection to one of these guys, right? They are the authoritative initial leaders of the church, big A apostles. But it also uses the word, like, as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. It simply means a sent one. And so there are little a apostles. And so what does an apostolic ministry look like in a church? This is Chris's definition. It is when the gospel crosses barriers or crosses cultures to be where the gospel isn't. And so every church should have some kind of ministry that says the gospel is here and it's well represented, but it's not there and we've got to get it there, right? And so if we are going to be equipped for the work of the ministry, we're going to be equipped to say there are parts of the world that don't have the same gospel access as us. 
There are parts of the city of Statesboro that don't have the same gospel access as us, and it is not okay for us to be cool and hanging out in here, but there's places where Jesus isn't being named, and there isn't a barrier-crossing cultural representative that says, look, let me introduce Jesus to you in your heart language. Let me introduce Jesus to you on your turf and on your terms, not mine. And so a healthy church will have an apostolic thrust. How do we get the gospel where it's not? And if you are part of Fletcher for any length of time, you know this is like such an encouraging part of being here. We have missionaries in some of the hard places in all over the earth. We have people in the pipeline to become sent ones that are going to go to other hard places. We, we are generous, radically generous in, in supporting and sending those missionaries. We're generous in, in, in doing the best we can to make sure we support them while they're there. But when we talk about every member on mission and partnering to go where we're not, there are still places left in Statesboro that are underrepresented with the gospel. You may notice this. Like Statesboro, and it's not as blazing and bright as it has been. I believe it's toning down. There is a racial line that gets drawn right down the middle of Statesboro. And it gets right down the middle of churches. And I hope forever we understand that Fletcher will always be welcoming, engaging. There is a relationship play for you. We'd be welcoming. We will love you. We want a church that represents heaven with different tribes and tongues and nations and languages. We want that to be true of us, not just on paper. We want you to know if you come here, somebody's going to love you. We want you to know if you come here, somebody's going to take you in and be part of your growth process. We want you to know that, like, you, we want you to be vital members. We want you to grow into leadership, like all the different things that are part. We want that to be true here, and, and I believe it is. But here's something that's weighed on me for years, and I've prayed about it for years. I don't want to go tell an underserved part of our community that doesn't look like me. Why don't you jump across all the barriers to get to Jesus, and then we'll share him with you, and you can worship him in a church that looks like me. What does it look like for the gospel to cross the barriers to the turf in terms of the people so that they can meet him where they are, just like we got to, and they can then worship and express that worship in a way that, that shows their heart and their language and their culture, just like we get to. If we're going to be a healthy church, we're not going to just ask the question, who am I connected to every week? Who's in my circles, and, and where am I already? We're also going to ask the question, where aren't we? Where is Jesus not represented as fully and as many opportunities as us? How do we get him there? And so that is going to be true as a church. There's people God has gifted, and they're passionate. Don't forget, the gospel's not here yet. But it's also equipping saints, you and me, for the work of the ministry. If we're going to have a healthy spiritual life, then part of that spiritual life is going to be there is something in me that is embracing and growing in the area of supporting and sending and going and praying for where the gospel isn't. Apostolic. Second, prophets. So we have external ministry, apostleship. We have internal ministry, prophets. And again, we can get this wrong in a lot of ways. Right? Prophets are these mystical people that tell the future. Prophets are these mystical, mystical people that are like, you know, I heard from God this thing happened in your life, and I just want to tell you uh, that you hadn't told me this, but God wants me to tell you this. 
If one of y'all say that, like, you are immediately excommunicated. I don't want, uh-uh. No, I'm kidding. Come talk to me. We'll work it out. But that's, that's not what I think that the ministry of prophecy is within a church. See if this sounds, like when you read through the prophets again after hearing this, see if this sounds better at the thrust of a, of a ministry of prophets. They take the word of God and they bring it to bear on people. Sometimes that word of God is about a future hope. Sometimes that word of God is about present sins. But they take the word of God and they bring it to bear on a person's life to call them back to faithfulness to God. And so, yeah, sometimes there's these outlandish images. Sometimes there's a future telling. But what's the purpose of them telling the future? To call somebody in the present away from their sin and back to Christ. Or, or back to God and faithfulness to his covenant. And so there should be an active ministry where we walk into people's lives and we see straying and we see distance. And it's not a license to be a jerk, but we, we actively engage them and then bring them back into faithfulness. Call them to repentance. Call them to walking with the Jesus they started walking with and have left. And so if you're in a microgroup, that's the most. You have signed up for someone else to call you out when they see you walking away from Jesus. Now, not call you out as a jerk, but call you back to faithfulness. I, I see the path you're on, and it goes this way. It doesn't go towards Jesus. And so sign up for that. You should have partners of growth in your life. You should have partners of accountability in your life. You should be committed in your little groups to being exercising this gift. And so what does a healthy church look like it's got people that are that have a heart and a burden when they see people walking from Jesus it breaks their heart and they go after them when they see people being caught in any transgression it weighs on their heart until they can get them back and so they want to bring the word of God to bear skillfully in the hope of a future glory skillfully so that people walk with Jesus but what are they doing they're equipping who the saints. So what does that mean that your spiritual life and your group should include? A growing willingness when you see danger spots in people's lives around you, not to be quiet about it. You are willing to cross over the discomfort of, man, they may not like this very much. Yeah, but do they need it? Because I guarantee you the cost of sin is higher than the dislike of a moment of correction. And so that the Holy Spirit is gifting people in the church that are going to say, go get people, and you are saying, yes, that's going to be part of my spiritual life. It's not my nature. It's not my, my default. It's not easy for me, but it's part of a well-balanced spiritual life, and so I'm going to, be, I'm going to take steps towards other people and call them back, especially in our, in our microgroups. And then he gave some to be prophets. He gave some to be evangelists. Now, don't worry. The first point is really all I kind of intended to get to, so you're, you're okay, and we're still good on time. Um, so evangelists. So if apostles take the gospel where the gospel isn't, what do evangelists do? They take the gospel where it already is and take it further and deeper into that area. So you would think of it this way. Right? If the question of an apostle is, where is the gospel not the question of evangelism, and this is what's being asked, and you have handouts in Sunday school the last few weeks um, to do this. It's your homework if, if you're in some of these Sunday school classes. The question is this. Where do I already go in a normal week? You go to work. Maybe you have a hobby. Maybe you work out. Maybe your kids are on a ball team. You live somewhere, and maybe you know your neighbors, and they borrow your chainsaw and hopefully give it back, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
where are you already? And then the second question, who are you connected to within those circles? Right? You probably know a neighbor or two. Now let's be intentional. You probably have some kind of relationship with somebody at your workplace. Let's get intentional. You probably have you know, a little bit of hangout time or maybe you go to meals after games and tournaments with a parent or two from your kid's team or your kid's connected to them and you're friends with them. Let's be intentional. So the question of evangelism is, who am I already connected to? How do I go get them? How do I go pursue them? And so for my math friends out there and for everybody else too, I'm going to give you three numbers that I think are going to be helpful for this year. 365. What does that sound like? Yes, how many days in a year? And you know what you should do every single day of your life? Pray. So 365 prayers is what I want you to offer. 52, what does that sound like? Sounds like weeks. I would like to see one time every single week of your life you practically serve or bless somebody around you. Now, if it's the same person all the time, great. If it's just different people, that's great. Serve and bless 52 times. Once a week, do something tangible to serve somebody else or bless somebody else. 12, what does it sound like? Now we're getting it. 12 months. Micah started this challenge off. He wants you to have a meal with other believers once a month. You get 93 chances. And he wants you to have a meal with somebody that doesn't know Jesus once a month. You get 93 chances. And I want to challenge you to maybe even put those two things together. You have one meal with one person that does not know Jesus, and possibly you do that in a community of another couple or two that you're connected to. So what will happen at the end of a year? You will have prayed for a soul for 365 times. What will happen at the end of the year? 52 times people will have seen you be a blessing and a service to the people around them. 12 times somebody or a rotating somebody will have been in your home around some other believers. And then you have the opportunity to just simply speak the truth in love, take the opportunities to bring truth to bear in that for the sake of one or two. You want to see one person converted or two people converted at the end of a year period that's been prayed for 365 times, has seen and been part of service, and has shared meals. That's a formula for every member on mission. It's a simple way. Like, what do I do next with these people? Pray for them. What do I do next? How can you serve? What do I do next? Meal. And you'll have so many interactions and opportunities for the Spirit to take hold of their heart and them to turn to faith. 365, 52, 12 for the sake of one or two. Okay, so that's the the point and the main point. You have blanks. I'm going to fill them in for you. But what's, what's the goal of that? Until. Until what? Until we attain what? Until we attain the unity of the faith. The faith is the doctrine of Christianity. It's the gospel truth. It's the gospel truth believed, and it is the gospel truth, core essential truths that we unify around, that are clearly revealed, that are centered on Christ and his word, that we rally around, and these core truths we unify in displaying them in our lives. So we all come to a unity of this truth being true and shown until we come to the knowledge of the Son of God. And so we are going to continue to apostle. We're going to continue to prophet. We're going to continue to evangelize. And I miss this, pastor, teacher, discipleship. 
simply, right? That we use the word to care for people and encourage people and heal people and strengthen people and feed people and protect people, right? And so we have shepherds to do that. We have disciple makers to do that. Why? For the work of the ministry. You shepherding and discipling people too, right? And so we do that until we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, do we need to know a lot about Jesus? Yes, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. Does it stop at knowing about Jesus? No, go listen to last week's sermon. Right? It is knowledge of Jesus that becomes a relational engagement with Jesus. When we all grow in our engagement of relationship with Jesus, we're in good shape now, and then to mature manhood. That every believer of Jesus Christ that is part of the church is part of the mission of discipleship to grow. And it's done within community, Right? Because here's the, here's the truth. You are saved individually, yes. You can't be church saved. You're saved individually, but you're always, always, always saved into a community. You're saved into a church. There is no such thing as Christian, I'm on my own, and church. Every believer of Jesus Christ is saved into the church. They're saved into the global, universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of the age and to a local expression of that for discipleship and mission. So when we come to maturity, all of these gifts, apostleship, prophet, evangelism, teaching, and shepherding, all of them are designed for us to grow up. Let's fill in the blanks. We have partners to protect us and speak the gospel in every corner of our lives. We have partners to protect us and speak the gospel in every corner of our life. So that, why? You stop being children. Everybody is born a baby. Everybody is born again a baby. But to stay a baby indefinitely is super dangerous. It's dangerous for your eternity because where's Jesus showing up in a way that's demonstrable? And it's dangerous for your spiritual life because you become an opportunity to be tossed around by everything that comes along, by every little doctrine that feels good, you know, because it's deceptive because it's deceiving, right? And so... It feels like it's right. It touches my inclinations like it's right. It sounds almost like it's biblical. And if we stay children, we're tossed around by stuff like that over and over and over. It's, it is immaturity leads to instability in our doctrine and in our lives. And it's dangerous. So what do we do to the immature? We protect the immature. Right? That it, it's part of our task that if there's people coming behind us that are newer to the faith, that we're really serious about guarding them. Because there's all kinds of things that would take them just off the path. And they sound good and they feel good, but they're not good. And then we mature. Like we want to be partners in their growth. We want them to join us in this full-fledged body, join us in this mature man, and join us in this mission grow them up, how do we do that? How do we do that? It's simple. He gives us one instruction. Speaking the truth in love. What's the truth? The knowledge of the Son of God. What's the truth? The faith, the doctrine, the the Christian essentials. What's the truth? Jesus, the head from whom everything comes from. And so when we speak the truth, what do we speak? Who do we speak? We speak Jesus and his gospel 
where? To everything. So how do I know that I'm maturing? Is that I can take the challenges and the problems and the decisions of my life and other people's lives, and I can not just bring good Dave Ramsey common sense to them, wonderful, but I can bring the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that speaks and informs and molds that area of their life. I can speak Jesus in, so that they can grow in every way. Do you see that? It's not Jesus so they can grow in their church life. Jesus so they can grow in their prayer life. Jesus so they can grow in their Bible reading life. Jesus so they can grow in every area of their life. And I am maturing when I grow in the skill of being able to speak Jesus into the really practical everyday stuff of people's lives. And I'm growing in Jesus when I allow others to do the same to me. Do you see that? I don't want to be a kid tossed everywhere. I want to be somebody that increasingly speaks Jesus to people, not just common sense and not pop psychology. and not Jesus, I want to grow in being able to receive people talking about Jesus into my own life. And here's the thing I promise you. It's something we're going to look at in our Wednesday night study. You'll be so much better an evangelist if you have the skill of taking Jesus and speaking his good news to the real stuff people face. The average person out there isn't asking about four spiritual laws. They're not asking, how do I get from this cliff to that cliff where God is? They're asking about money and depression and anxiety and jobs and challenges and family and singleness and blah, blah, everything else. That's what they're asking about. So does Jesus have anything to say about the real stuff people face? We're maturing when we're able to speak Jesus into the real stuff of people's lives, and you will be so much better an evangelist if you can bring the good news of Jesus across the bridge of where they are into the fullness of what the gospel is, you'll be so much better at it. We speak to each other that way, and we grow in the ability to speak to other people that way. All right, just filling in the blanks here. We have partners to join our gifts with in order to expand and mature our family of faith. Grow, expansion, mature, you know, internal growth, right? Our family of faith. And so we have partners. We need partners. We're not to do this alone. We need people within the church that say there's a passion for, for where the gospel isn't, and then we need to cultivate in our own spiritual lives a concern for where the gospel isn't. We need people who have a weight and a burden when people start to drift away, to not let them go without a fight. And then we need in our own spiritual lives a growth it says, I'm going I'm to make myself uncomfortable because I can't let you keep going this way without some engagement with it. Not jerk engagement with it, some engagement with it. We need people that will say, look, it's so easy to hang out with each other in a full room. It's so easy to sing the wonderful songs of Jesus. It's so easy to love each other. It's a wonderful place to be with wonderful people at Fletcher. But guess what? There's lost people out there. There's lost people where you work. There's lost people where your kids play ball. There's lost people out where you live. And we need people to remind us of that because part of our spiritual life is missing if we don't look for the lost around us and look for opportunities to talk about Jesus to them and serve them. And we need people that will shepherd, nourish, care, strengthen, and bring the word to bear in our lives that will shepherd us and part of our healthy spiritual life is we partner to shepherd others too. We need those gifts blended into the body because we need those things in the ministry that makes up our own spiritual lives. 
Let's look at a few practical things. One, what areas might God want to fill in in your life or our church? What areas might God want to fill in in your life or our church? As you think about those four gifts that we've talked about this whole time, which one of those is noticeably absent? Which two of those, which three of those are noticeably absent? As I talk through the definitions, where is the Spirit saying, this person, this conversation, this area? And so which one of those is a great discussion to have? And then what about as a church? My gifting is pastor shepherding. Right? That's, that's what I'm passionate about. I'm pursuing certification in counseling, have others that we're training to do that too. Like, I love the Word of God. I love being able to share it and teach it. Hopefully it's kind of clear sometimes. But that doesn't let me off the hook because Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. So I'm not off the hook of evangelism. So where are we, and, and then apply that to the church. Like, what are the areas as a church that, like, we're strong in? Let's rejoice. What areas is God pulling and stretching and cultivating and prodding for this year? Second, what barriers do you have to partnering with others for growth, accountability, and mission? What barriers do you have to partnering with others for growth, accountability, and mission? Maybe it's the barrier of being consistently around other believers. Maybe it's the barrier of, I don't quite want people to know that much about me. I don't want to be transparent in front of the others. So I have, maybe I have community, maybe I don't. Or maybe I have community, but i got to keep them at a little bit of a distance. What's your barrier? If you're in a microgroup, you signed up to be held accountable for your spiritual growth. Now, I'm sorry if that wasn't made clear. And I'm sorry if that's not what y'all are currently doing. I want to challenge you. If you're in a microgroup, it's your responsibility to challenge each other to growth and accountability. And if that's not what you signed up for, see if you can get your heart right with the Lord. And if that's still not what you signed up for, then like step back until the Lord brings you to that place. But these are supposed to be places of growth and care and counsel and hope and grace and encouragement and correction and accountability. What are the barriers in your life for partnering with others for growth and accountability? Third, 365-52-12. Four, one, or two. That you make a specific commitment that I will pray for a lost person or two lost people every single day for the next year. That is, my, that is the heartbeat of my prayer to know God and abide in Christ and this person's soul and eternal destiny. And then you just think of ways throughout the week. Every week, something. We've had lists and booklets we've put out. There's a missions table with ideas. Uh, the office, we have other ideas. So if you need, like, what do I do at work? What do I do in my neighborhood? Well, we can give you some ideas. Find a way to tangibly serve and, and then share meals. Just open your home and open your table and just eat with people. Eat with people that don't know Jesus. You know what? Lost people eat too. Share a meal. If you're fun to be around, they might actually want to eat it with you. Share a meal. And then every opportunity you get, Speak the truth of Jesus to the everyday stuff of life that's going to come up when you spend time with people. And so we're blessed to have not a championship church because that's wrong words. We're blessed to have a church that is healthy, that you can find people around you that will get into relationships with you. And you can find people around you that will hold you accountable and, and be part of God's growth in your life. And now what you're being equipped for by your leadership and uh, especially as Mike is laying out these emphasis, you're being equipped within that widespread holding each other accountable to go together, to hold each other accountable to going together. 
so that God may welcome new children to himself for his glory. Let's pray. So, Father, in Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you that you are patient. Thank you that you have, you have won us to Jesus. Thank you that you have forgiven us and redeemed us. Thank you that you've adopted us. Thank you that you've set a love on us that nothing in height or depth or present or future could ever separate us from. Thank you that you've placed a spirit of adoption within us that cries out when we can't that you're our Father. Thank you for such a precious body of believers that loves and serves in real, genuine Jesus ways. And now, Father, would you just nudge us out? Would you give us eyes for the harvest? Would you show us where you want your gospel to be and it's not? Would you show us how to get there? Would you show us the people to serve and to share with? And then would you be pleased to call people to life? Would you be pleased to save? God, that's our, that's our plea. That's our prayer. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we come to our time of invitation, you know, church, saints, holy ones, this isn't what you are. This is what Jesus died and rose again to save you to be to welcome you to his church and his family, to declare you holy. You're not holy apart from him, but he'll declare you that way. Have you ever turned from your sin? Not church. Have you ever turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you? Man, we would love to pray with you, or we'd love for you to fill out that white sheet in your, in your, in your bulletin, and we'd love to answer questions you have and walk you through it. But don't just assume and don't just pass through. Hear. Respond. Or maybe what you see from this is, ah, there's more areas of immaturity in my life than I'd like to admit. I've been doing this a while, but there's still so many immaturities. Or maybe you just see, oh, man, there's areas. I just have had no heart or compassion for these things outside of me. Or you see areas that are making and keeping you mature and trapped. Whatever it is, come, confess it, and embrace the, the welcoming of the Lord again. But something I want every single one of us praying for, you can do this where you are, you can do this up here, is I want you to make a personal commitment to 365, 52, 12 for the sake of one or two people. That you make that a, a rock-solid commitment of your heart today and your life starting from today on. That you're going to pray and you're going to serve and you're going to eat and you're going to see and plead with the Lord to save one or two. Let's stand together and let's sing and you respond how the Lord is leading you.